0: Hi this is producer Hannah Shader for KPOY. I started this project all because of a conversation I had with my friend Saturn in art class. Saturn lives in EPA and has gone to PAUSD school since elementary. When I told her I was thinking about EPA as a potential podcast topic she described this strange phenomenon she was now seeing that she never saw when she was younger. We've gotten
1: letters in the mail by these random people we don't know. I would give you this much money for your property. Like, I want your home. And my mom, like, jokes around, like, ooh, we're going to we're gonna get so rich. We're going to buy a mansion in a vacant place where no one is. And I'm like, me, I don't want to leave. This is, <sighs> despite the frustrating aspects of my community
0: all over, I still, it's, like, my roots. The interest investors had in her house was bizarre to Saturn. Because the whole city used to be seen as dangerous and undesirable to the neighboring predominantly white communities. Um, so I, it was
1: my birthday, okay, and I was wanted to have a, a slumber party over at my house because that was the only time I'd allowed to have a sleepover. And unfortunately, a day before my party, there was a um, there was a shootout, a shooting. And there was like police tape everywhere, and. To that, like, I didn't really care, but then a bunch of my friends, who all lived in Palo Alto, like, only two showed up, um, and that was, like, to me, that was, like, why, why didn't they show up? And then, like, one of them told me, like, there was, like, my parents were scared of me staying over there, and, and now you see... This white woman walking her dog and you're kind of stunned because, like, what are you doing here?
0: Saturn's story about the offers really interested me because it was something I was seeing over and over again in articles talking about EPA's gentrification. Real estate speculators making huge offers for any kind of property in EPA that they can flip and make into housing for tech workers. More often than not, these offers are made in cash. But who are the people sending these letters and trying to buy up these properties? And why do they want them in the first place? A Stanford Journal article I found from 2013 alleged that one company, Equity Residential, controlled over half the housing market at the time, half of the entire city. But there has been very little media coverage since, for five years, about who the owners of property in the EPA are. Through working with the county clerk's office of San Mateo in a very tedious process, I was able to get a hold of the list of all the current East Palo Alto property owners. What I found in these huge stacks of paper is that today, no big company like Equity Residential owns many properties. In fact, almost no properties are held by commercial real estate companies anymore. What these owners are though is a mixture of individuals who live in and out of the city, none of them owning over five properties. Out of 814 properties I had access to information about, 135 of them had out-of-city owners. And, while 30% of these owners were either from Palo Alto or Menlo Park, the rest fell in places all over California. There were property owners in Santa Barbara, Rialto, Westlake Village, Merced, Rio Vista, not to mention a handful of owners out-of-state in Texas, Florida, and Georgia, all interested in a city less than three square miles. So why? Why are these people, who aren't living in EPA themselves, and seemingly have little connection to the city, interested in these properties. After talking to local investors, the interest in EPA was even more confusing because rent control makes properties really hard to profit off of in the short term. This is Arlen Chow, a successful Bay Area investor who has chosen to avoid East Palo Alto.
2: You know, a million dollar home. Now, if you were to buy that million dollar home and there was, you know, people living in there and you did not have the ability to raise rents to help cover the mortgage payments the insurance the taxes that you have to pay on that property well that new landlord is going to be um you know paying a lot of money out of pocket for a long time Mm -hmm. so the the only way to you know get into a property like that is you have a a ton of money and you're able to you know buy that property for all cash or near cash um, and just sit Mm -hmm. on it for a long period of time I mean, you, you think about it, if you're, if you're making, you know, net $100 a month on a property that is, you know, 700000 or a $1 million in value, well, mm-hmm. you know, wh- why would you do that for $100 a month? So it, it makes it less appealing for, for investors to come in.
0: This leaves the only potential investors in EPA as people who see the long-term economic potential and have a philosophy that these properties will only become more and more valuable. This mindset is understandable. If East Palo Alto stays on its current trajectory, demand will continue to increase while supply stays the same.
2: If you take away the the social aspect uh, of the problem itself, which is, you know, rightly a a very large problem, um, but if you look at it from a purely economic standpoint, as you restrict supply um, and you raise demand, Well, prices are going to go up for whatever's left over um, in terms of properties being either snatched up by people who are going to move into them or by investors who want to buy them and rent them out. We fundamentally don't have enough supply. So, you know, if, you know, let's say Amazon brings in, I don't know how many people they're going to bring in. Let's say they bring in 5,000 people. Okay. Let's say 50% of those people want to move, right? that's 2500 people whether there there just aren't 2500 homes available so if you were to expand your research into like how many apartments or how many homes are being you know constructed in east palo alto or or even in the greater bay area compared to the number of jobs that are being created you're going to see that housing just isn't keeping up you know if east palo alto said, okay, Amazon, you move in, and somehow they were able to create 10,000 homes, then you know, the prices of those homes would not go sky high. Whereas if they bring in 5,000 tech jobs and they don't add any homes, well, the existing homes that are there, well, the prices are going to go through the roof.
0: This is great for lower income families and communities who have bought a home and can now sell it for a huge profit. But other residents who chose to rent get the short end of the deal because now the cost of living keeps rising. This is Kyra Brown, East Palo Alto resident and activist.
3: So I acknowledge that for some people, if they bought a house, and then the value of the house has tripled. I get that there are families who make a difficult decision and they say hey we are not going to come across this amount of money in our lifetime most likely and we mm-hmm. can move to another state and buy a home right and live comfortably mm-hmm. and still work but have a totally different life right but mm-hmm. but also be removed from from you know the the community that we know yeah. and love i guess the other side for me Is I feel like that still doesn't address the problem. Somebody, you know, may have gotten lucky in a sense and figured out a way to make their situation work for them and ended up relocating. Like, okay, for some people that's a possibility, but are we actually Mm -hmm. addressing the problem?
0: The situation is further worsened by the legal disincentives for landlords to treat their tenants with compassion.
2: I think it's it's really unfortunate that the ecosystem of landlords and tenants has become so adversarial, and I personally think it has a lot to do with politicians creating legislation and forcing everything into the courts. Whereas before, you had landlords who were bringing by baskets, you know, during the mm-hmm. holidays and building personal relationships and things like that. Uh, And if there are problems, you know, it was, you know, much more of a personal relationship where they would kind of sit down and talk it out. Now, I, I think landlords, you know, smaller landlords are afraid to give any leeway because that could be used against them later in court. If they didn't raise the rents when they were supposed to, they may never be able to raise that amount of money again. Back in the day, you know, tenants would come in and say, hey, look, I'm a little bit short. I can't pay you on the first. You know, can I pay you, you know, on the seventh? And a mom and pop landlord would say, okay, that's fine. You know, pay me on the seventh and we'll we'll call it good. Well, now, well, you can't do that because now you've created precedents that you allowed them to do this, Mm. right? So now that tenant could come back and say, hey, you let me do it before. You know, you have to let me do it again. Um, and so, you know, a a a business-minded, you know, landlord is going to say no. If you, you know, rent is due on the first. If you if you don't get me the rent by the third, then you're going to get a three-day notice. And mm-hmm. you know, the, the 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 political climate has created this machine where even if a landlord wants to cut them slack, they can't because they put themselves into legal jeopardy at a later point. I mean, I, mm-hmm. I think that's a discussion that, you know, I, I think it, it gets lost that people don't don't really understand that, that there are a lot of landlords out there that don't want to be doing the things that they're doing, but they have to. And so I, I think that's changed a lot. The, the whole humanity of it has kind of been pushed aside and it's just become about rules and regulations and laws.
0: The theoretic economic solution to this problem is lining up the demand with supply. But personal biases, government action, and a number of other factors get in the way of this. An example is cities allowing tech companies to move in without a plan for increased housing.
3: I'm still trying to um, understand the role that city council plays in something like a housing crisis. Because Amazon Mm -hmm. was like, Well, instead of giving the community access to jobs, you know, we don't want to we don't want to abide by that. So let's just, you know, write a check to the city council in order to sidestep that policy.
2: Again, it's kind of a a, you know, is a catch twenty two in terms of money, right? Because cities want money to come in, right? They they want companies to come in because those companies bring in huge amounts of tax revenue, but they're not addressing the housing issue at the same time. Somebody needs to be thinking about adding housing on a huge scale. And the problem right now is that the politicians, they don't. They don't, you know, in, in their political movements, don't move in lockstep with housing and in jobs, right? Mm-hmm.
3: They,
2: they get all excited when they get, you know, Amazon to move in or Facebook to move in or whatever, but they don't talk about, hey, where are all these people gonna live? Well these people are gonna live where the existing tenant base lives. They're they're gonna displace them.
3: The conflict of ideology is like all over this whole gentrification and you know not in my backyard or not mm-hmm. in my neighborhood conversation.
2: You know it's it's all about you know NIMBYism, not in my backyard. People have a single family home. They don't want this three or four-story condominium with people on their balconies looking down into their backyards you know
3: mm-hmm.
2: that happens everywhere through san francisco bay area i mean everywhere in every city that you, you go to people say hey yeah we there's a housing crisis housing crisis okay well can we build an eight-story you know apartment complex next to your house and everybody says no go go build it you know in this other neighborhood and so what ends up happening is now There's this political deadlock, but you look at all the areas that are are building, you know, large apartment complexes, they're in what used to be industrial areas, right, that don't have residential neighbors. You know, these companies are coming in, they're buying, you know, old factories and things like that um, and building four or five story apartment complexes on them because that's where they don't get political pushback from the neighbors. But unfortunately, that's not in East Palo Alto. That's you know that's in you know places like Milpitas or San Jose or
0: Fremont. East Palo Alto must find a way to either limit demand or increase supply, but the city right now is stuck between the two. As we wait for a solution to be agreed upon, the current situation will only get worse and worse. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to Arlen Chow and Kyra Brown for offering their expertise. And to the assessor's office at San Mateo for providing me with help and information. Music is provided by Megatracks. You can listen to more of my podcasts and others at Pali Radio on Spotify and SoundCloud.